0: we are all wild beings but we have been cultured by society of like certain ways of taming our wildness and you know the more that you tap into your wildness the more that you're able to see like wait that stuff isn't me that's not what I like (laughs) you know and like you really get to discover yourself and that's the most exhilarating journey ever
1: welcome back to the guru's dead podcast i'm your host marcus wu this week i'm joined by julia plevin she is a designer soon to be published author and forest bather based in san francisco in this conversation julia candidly talks about her spiritual path working with the darkness within rediscovering judaism through the lens of earth connection her forced pilgrimage to New Zealand and Japan, and so much more. What I really appreciate about Julia is her trailblazing spirit and that she deeply leans into her intuition. She's also the first woman on the podcast, once again, trailblazing, and will certainly not be the last. My aim is to have many diverse voices on this show, including voices from many more amazing women. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Julia. So I would love to talk to you about... And you feel free to ask me questions and I'll ask you questions. Um, Kind of what was your, the the door for you into spirituality? Was it something you grew up with? Um, What was, how did that start for you?
0: Yeah. So I, it's funny, I grew up Jewish going to Hebrew school, bat mitzvah, confirmation. And so that was something that was like a big part of my like growing up, but not really from a spiritual aspect, more from a, this is what you have to do. And my parents aren't particularly spiritual. They like the, tradition and the culture but not from like a super spiritual side. So it really took me a long time it feels like to come into my own spirituality and it came, you know, been doing yoga for 15 years and it's like it took me maybe like 12 years of doing yoga to start to understand what yoga was really all about. There was a time when I moved back from San Francisco after going to grad school in New York City when I felt like my life was in shambles. I've been dealing with health issues that were confusing for over a decade and just, like, left me exhausted and frustrated at the whole system. Um, This kind of, like, not knowing what I wanted to do, and as in a partnership with someone who also was going through, not knowing what he wanted to do. We ended up breaking up, and I didn't – I had come back to San Francisco without a job, with all this student loan, you know, and I was like, I just give up. And – It was in that, it was like this month. It was January 2016, actually. And I had been going to this yoga studio that I I used to go to before I moved to New York. And I saw they were doing a yoga teacher training. And I was like, wow, that sounds so good right now. But I don't need any more trainings. You know, I've just done on the whole grad program and, no money. And the teacher, the owner of the studio, Steve, who's known me for a while, said, just come. Like, we'll figure out the payment. Just do it. And that was a big opening and then the, the reading that came from that, you know, so I was like newly single and I would spend my evenings just reading like Alan Watts and different books about spirituality of yoga. Also right before that, I had gotten to the point of writing a suicide letter. Didn't think I had intentions of going through with it, but just like, I feel like I can't do this anymore. I've been trying so hard to keep my life together and it's just not working. Try to do everything right, responsible, you know, driven, hardworking, ambitious, and like, how am I feel like like this? So in that letter, what became really clear, you know, I wrote, I feel like I have all these creative gifts to offer the world, but the world isn't, I don't fit into it. And you know, I wrote that letter, I went to bed, and I was like, oh my god, I can't tell anyone, can't tell anyone I did that. But it was like a weight had lifted, and it was like this ego death. Of where I thought I was supposed to be and just began accepting where I was. And that was that month I say would be really the beginning of my spiritual awakening.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's that's really powerful. And thanks for being so open. So what what made you want to write that letter? Was there something that you just had a voice where it's like, I should I need to write this letter? There's something within me that wants to get out, or someone direct you towards that as a practice or? where you just kind of, and you're just like, I can't take it anymore.
0: Yeah. um, I had heard of a story of people write two obituaries, one based on the life they're currently living, and one based on the life they wish they were living. And I think somewhere, like that somewhat inspired me, but coming from a dark place, it turned into this suicide letter.
1: Yeah. And there, I mean, there, I mean, we hear a lot of stories of my, well many modern day teachers kind of get to that that end point of like they want to kill themselves they want to end their life and within that space is sort of the opening right to see beyond the ego and find um find something but it's a really hard place to be for sure
0: yeah and um it's one of those you know it's like that place where a lot of people don't let themselves get to and it's about you know, like that is such, it can, this darkness can be such a re- time for transformation and awakening if we feel held at some level.
1: There's one teacher I really loved. He he was talking to, you know, people that would want to kill themselves. And he would, instead of, I think most people, their response, you tell it to someone, they're like, no, don't do it. Like you have so much to live for and all this kind of stuff. And he was, his response was, you know, well, what, what within you wants to die? Mm. Actually like really addressing that impulse. There's wisdom there. We just, a lot of times... Just run away from it instead of actually trying to understand. You know what within us wants to die, right? Yeah. And you know when we, I think, let that in a little bit, then we can kind. Of, then there's some light. Then there's some space there. So so after that that moment, and you were still in the during the doing the yoga training at that point.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And how did that propel you forward, or how did that impact you?
0: Yeah. Um, it was an Ashtanga based training, and I think honestly at that point part of the most powerful piece of it was just the, you know, that place where you don't have a job and you don't know how to spend your time. And then all of a sudden you're, <laughs> and you kind of try to keep a schedule, but it, it gets really hard. But then having that schedule where it was like, okay, from, you know, this time to this time practice from this time to this time, you know, study and then having that disciplined schedule really started to, that was, really supportive of what, where I was. Um, the other thing that's interesting is I wasn't doing it because I wanted to be a yoga teacher necessarily. It was more about deepening. I knew on some level I needed to deepen my own practice. And I didn't really know what that meant at the time. But I knew it was what I wanted. And what I always wanted going into it was like, I just had this vision of teaching yoga outside and then like sharing like delicious food and having like these brunches. <laughs>
1: <That's insane>. <laughs> <laughs> yoga brunch, and what could be better?
0: Yeah, and then what's crazy is fast forward. I've been leading all this forest bathing, and then I've been called more recently to teach yoga, but what I've been calling it shamanic yoga or nature connected yoga, and it's a it's a flow of different nature connection practices and like asana that moves along the medicine wheel and you know draws inspiration from from nature and it was like this this offering that wanted to move through me after te- like when I went to teach yoga like the last day of the training you would bring in a friend and you lead them through and I remember feeling so awkward and felt like I was just memorizing a script versus when I'm doing the shamanic yoga this offering that's moving through me that is based on my own learnings and my own practices it just feels like I have something to offer
1: yeah yeah I know exactly what you mean so what is your understanding of yoga now? Like how does yoga factor into what you're doing and your your practice?
0: Yeah. Um, I'm in a place of yoga discovery, actually. So a lot of my spirituality ever since that awakening moment, and you're right, it didn't come from a teacher, really. It felt like it really came from within and from, you know, then coming into a community of people who were who are purpose driven and like starting to understand that soul connection and that, you know, surrendering into This bigger plan, a couple other really powerful books like The Surrender Experiment. Yeah, I have a couple more, I can't think of the right now, but a couple really powerful books that led, that supported my awakening, which did come from, I guess, teachers, but you know, in a book form. And then once I started forest bathing, it was just something else I knew I wanted to do. I wanted to be in nature and I wanted to see if people wanted to come with me. So I started Forest Bathing Club on Meetup. And before I, Ever hosted one, a reporter from Business Insider reached out to me and asked if she could cover a forest bath, and so I didn't know. Like I honestly, I was like, yeah, of course, right? And then I had no idea what I was doing, so I kind of, you know, I was like, well, I kind of know like mindfulness from yoga, and I know nature, and I piece something together. (laughs) But then over the past couple years, I've really refined and attuned my practice, but a lot of it came from just learning from the forest from spending time in the forest and my own discovery of signs and symbols and my senses and noticing how I would feel differently when I was connected versus not connected and out of my head. And mm-hmm. it came to a point where I was like, felt the need for mentorship where um I like, it was almost like I was a seed and I like sprouted into this world. And I was like, oh my God, this whole vast world, like I'm all alone here. And then I, my roots started to go a little deeper and I'm like, oh, okay, no, there's a lot beneath the surface. Like there's, you know, there's worlds of nature connection that I'm just, you know, can connect to and learn from and be supported by and support.
1: Absolutely. So, so at that point were you calling in, you were calling in mentors or how did you go about that?
0: Yeah, I was calling in mentors for sure. Um, at this point, you know you know you're on your your right path when things happen that you can't predict or plan and they're they're better than you have, have ever dreamed and I got a taste of that when I got this um, email from a publisher asking me if I wanted to write a book on forest bathing and i I was like, "Is this even real?" I had to forward it to my parents and my partner would be like, "Am I making this up? Is this real?" And sure enough, like a real publisher wanted to give me an advance to write a book on forest bathing. And I think I had written down like pipe dreams, you know, like I want to write a book by the time I'm 30. And this was like, no way that could ever happen. So then it, this book deal came in my inbox and it was in starting to research for the book that I really started calling in mentors. And sure enough, they started to appear.
1: And so, I mean, were you calling a mentor specifically in forest bathing or you know, shamanic practices or just earth connection? Like who, who were you like, what, what was the profile of the mentor you were looking for?
0: Yeah, more on nature connection. And I realized pretty quickly that forest bathing is a term, is a new term for a very old practice and it's a practice of connecting to nature, which most indigenous native practices have their ways of connecting to nature even forest bathing, you know, from Japanese, it's ingrained in Japanese culture now, but it's there's like this remnants of this like Shinto and Buddhist traditions of seeing nature as teacher, as sacred. And it's, you know, it's almost like in Japan, it's so a part of their life, they don't even realize it versus here in the West, in the States, that's like kind of crazy talk, like this stone has a soul, you know? Like, maybe if I imagine, like, and I'm really creative, I can think about that. But, you know, <laughs> and that just always felt so true to me. Like, of right. course, this stone has a soul. Of course, trees can communicate with us. You know, like, it brings me back to your childhood days before you're told that that's crazy.
1: <laughs> I think that sense of, like, everything is sacred, you know, in a palpable way. You know, as, as opposed to, like, oh, this is just a rock. It's just a dead thing. It's not, uh, you know, whatever. It's made of molecules. But it actually has a life force of its own. Yeah,
0: and yeah. so I totally missed your question around how does yoga in my practice now, but I'm getting there.
1: come back to it, yeah. Yeah. I'm just throw him out there. They'll come back <laughs> at the right time.
0: <laughs> As I started to learn different practices from different teachers, you know, there was like, they're all somewhat movement-based. And so now I have like a morning routine of little practices that I do to connect to the sun, to move energy from the earth through the cosmos, through my body, you know, like to connect to the four directions. And I was like, okay, what does this look like in the form? Like, how do you do this in the form of a yoga class or some kind of class that you can do again and again and build a flow off of that, you know? So then I started to get creative. Like, you know, you're in plank and you have one hand on your heart and then you bring it down to the earth and you're like physically connecting your heart to the earth. And so it just became, again, my own discovery of like body connection to to nature.
1: Yeah. Do you ever feel like maybe you shouldn't be doing this, and you should stick to traditional stuff, or have you know? Do you ever have that feeling of like, oh, maybe I don't know, maybe I shouldn't be doing this?
0: Mm, you know, um, I'm not the kind of person who like follows rules very well. Like, I don't read instructions before building furniture. <laughs> I don't follow recipes very well, you know. So it's like I'm, I've always been paving my own path. And um,
2: <laughs> I love that.
0: <laughs> I do recognize that the like, importance of, of longstanding traditions and of you know, elders and all of that. But it's always been kind of like, let me just figure this out my own way. Let me just try this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're a trailblazer. You know, it, it, was, it made me think of when we were doing the, the sweat lodge, and I think his name was Chief Wakan Eagle. He said, I've been doing this all, all my life, and it means everything to me when he said that, that really struck me. I was just like, whoa, I was like, wow, like he has been doing this his entire life. And he's probably 60 or 70 years old. The, the sense of that tradition was like really palpable. I think I felt that um, really strongly. And it was like, oh, well, I really respect that. And not only that, but the, his willingness to share it and his generosity and being able to share that with basically strangers, right, and be very open. And so I I, t- I totally get both. I mean, I, I, I love the way that the way that you live in the sense of finding that inner voice and that coming through and also the sense of tradition is also really powerful too.
0: Yeah. And what's interesting is having, you know, explored so many different like around the world. I was in Guatemala and learned from Mayan elders and, you know, in Japan learning from a Shigendo Buddhist monk and a teacher who's here, she's in, was in Washington and started Shamanic Great Worldwide. And she's taken, you know, her practice comes from many other Places, but I began to wonder, okay, what is my tradition, you know? And that always kind of edgy, like I believe these practices come from the earth and nature connection is a human right, no matter where you come from. But also, there's something about what's particular to you, and I actually that brought me back to flooring Judaism from a new lens and um, rediscovering Shabbat, and Shabbat is. Every Friday, it's like on the seventh day, you take a day of Rat so Shabbat is Friday night ceremony, and you leave the week behind and you connect this holy day. And I, I've, I've been want, I've been building this nature connection community, the Forest Bathing Club. And I was like, well, what are some drumbeat rituals? Like, how often do you forest bathe? And I was like, oh wait, my own tradition has this built-in drumbeat, which is every Friday night, community comes together and shares in you know, leaving behind all the doing and entering this state of being, being in connection with themselves and each other and community and the earth. And so I've started now hosting Shabbat dinners and that it's feeling so good because it's bringing all of this stuff I learned, but then coming back through this tradition, this like that is so core to who I am.
1: Yeah, no, that's beautiful. That's beautiful and a really unique expression of that. Were, were there any experiences? I mean, you're talking about Guatemala and Japan, that kind of stuck out for you. That were kind of like really maybe sort of landmark experiences that kind of helped you understand your own context in, in terms of forest bathing or or shamanism.
0: Yeah, I guess the first one was I was in New Zealand. I was with my partner, and you know we had we were in Wellington, and we had a couple of days to go somewhere. And I had heard of this Waipua forest, and I looked it up, and I was like, this sounds kind of cool. Like maybe we should go here really old trees, you know, and, and, uh, Sam was like, cool. And then he looked at it and he's like, that's way too far. We'd have to like fly to Auckland and rent a car and then drive. And I was like, okay, you're right. And then I was like, no, we have to go. I really have to go there. And, um, he knows me well enough to know like when I have that conviction to listen to it. And I'm so grateful that he does. Cause even some, it helps me not question my own conviction because he takes it seriously. We flew to Auckland, we rented a car, we drove into the Waipua forest, and then we had a um, a Maori guide bring us into the forest. And it was this sunset forest walk to some of these sacred 2,000-year-old, 5,000-year-old trees, these Kauri trees. And as he led us, he shared myths and, and stories from Maori people and also, you know, songs. and And it was like we were we were on this forest bath, but he didn't call it forest bathing, you know, <laughs> it was just their practice of honoring these these trees. And then I found out that New Zealand and Japan had signed some agreement to like connect the old trees. I think it's Tanemahuta in New Zealand to this old tree, Jimon Sugi in Yakushima, which is an island in Japan. And so then I was like, we we're going to Japan that for more research, and I was like, we have to go to this island to see this tree because it's connected to the other tree.
1: how is it connected?
0: Just like an agreement that New Zealand government and J- Japanese government had signed to make them siblings. Yeah, like sister tree, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like they're both uh-huh. really old. Like it's such a <laughs> cool thing to do. I
1: didn't know anyone did that. That's, that's,
0: right? that's right.
1: Your your tree has a brother now. He's in New Zealand. Yeah. So then you went to visit the one in Japan.
0: Yeah. So on another like spiritual quest to that tree, and then we let's see, I had to take like a flight and then a ferry and then we didn't rent a car. So we'd like hitch a ride to an Airbnb and then take a bus and like every mode of transportation and then hike 11 kilometers in to the middle of the island to see this tree. The pilgrimage, totally a pilgrimage. And when I got there, we're sitting before the tree and the message that I felt was that it's not about this destination. It's not about being at the tree, but it's about the whole journey that it I took to get there and realizing how we were supported so beautifully at each part of this like leg of journey where something could have gone wrong, you know, it, and it felt like it might have gone wrong and then like always swooped in the last minute save.
2: Yeah, wow.
0: Yeah, so to me, that was this kind of realization of, you know, it's like the alchemist. It's when you're on a quest, when you're on a journey, the universe conspires to support you and make it happen. And I think more than being on a quest, it's like being on an aligned quest being on a spiritual quest, being on a purposeful quest. And so it's that power of like having that that vision that you're that you see that you're holding and walking towards that and that really helps you being able that really helps me be able to see when things come up like oh is this supporting this vision or is it not.
1: Right. Right. I guess my question is, you know, with this greater and greater kind of earth connection for you, how has that changed your thinking and how's how has that kind of impacted your life?
0: The biggest thing is I see my I see my life as an act of service. I believe that the greatest work of our generation is to reconnect back to nature, and I am here to support that reconnection and be in service of to the earth and um, understanding my own medicine, which is something that we've talked a lot about but Around how I do that, and that's my mix of creative offerings and writing and holding space for community and facilitating and just really standing strong in my beliefs, speaking my truth, yeah, so that's that's the biggest thing is in being service and i'm there's something like, okay, being in service, but like I have my own wants and needs too, but then you realize that like when you are in service of something greater, what you truly desire is also aligned to that, so like You don't have to worry like about giving up something,
1: right? It's all part of the same division that's integrated and sort of the same medicine in some sense.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's where I am now, and just to me, it's a continual learning and offering, deepening and giving out. And it's like I like you kind of can imagine like a some kind of plant, right? Where it's like digging your roots, learning more, but then also offering the fruits, offering the flowers. You know. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about, and I'm still working on this this article about that sense of greater earth connection and what it offers people. And I've had a couple of different lines of thinking about this, but I think one thing it it offered me, and this was through the earth connection accelerator that Julia put on, was touching this, this wildness, I think, inside of myself that I hadn't really known before or kind of been aware of before. And I think the sense of finding the wildness in the wilderness, there's something there that I think reconnects you that makes you feel really alive and that kind of connects you to something more primordial or essential about yourself and i've done a lot of like different meditation practices and you know different various traditions yoga all that kind of stuff and in some sense it's much more transcendent, like, up in the head, head space. Um, and even the heart heart space, is, I mean, there's there's that as well, the compassion exercises and that kind of stuff. But, like, there's this wildness, I feel like, that comes with, especially Indigenous traditions, right, that I don't know if it's really valued as much as it should be. I don't know. That's one, one thing that I've been trying to explore into is the sense of, like, what's that wild part of me that wants to come through, that wants to be seen, that wants to um, explore?
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. And that's, you know... Um... We are all wild beings, but we have been cultured by society of like certain ways of taming our wildness. And, you know, the more that you tap into your wildness, the more that you're able to see, like, wait, that stuff isn't me. That's not what I like, <laughs> you know? And like, you really get to discover yourself. And that's just the most exhilarating journey ever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I think it, to me, it has a sense of like what's really authentic. And this wildness is sort of, it can break through a lot of barriers much more strongly, I think, than other things in some sense, because it's just like, it's just itself. It's wild and it's authentic. It's not tameable. It's a true voice. And that's, I think, what I've been trying to look for for a lot of years, right, is that sense of like speaking the truth and knowing the deepest truth and letting that come through. And so I think the wild part allows that to, to come in without self-consciousness, without criticism and just be like, it's just wild. It's there. It's just like, roar you know, that kind of thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, you know, I've done so much reading on these topics Since I had my experience of writing that suicide letter and like what I know now, it's the world that Sharon Blackie calls the wasteland or Joanna Macy calls business as usual. It's this world that's actually super patriarchal, capitalistic. It's that world that I didn't feel made for. And also that world's not working for anyone, really. You know, maybe some people can hide it better than others, but it's not working for anyone. It's not working for the planet. We are the Earth, so like anything that you know if it's not working for the earth it's not working for us
1: so what what do you see kind of coming down the pike? I mean, what is the sort of shift that you see that's going to be necessary for us to kind of i mean exist as human beings
0: yeah well we've um in Mayan tradition, we've already entered this this new era of like you know we swung really far to the masculine and now we're swinging back towards the feminine within each of us like even man is like reclaiming their feminine around earth connection like emotions you know like music like any of these kind of softer things intuition you know so there are all these things that are more feminine energies and it's in this shift that is going to reconnect us back to nature and so I see you know like I have no idea how it's going to happen but I see this chaos that we're in right now as you know, our political chaos, state of the world chaos as this moment in time where this reunification of the masculine and feminine can start to happen. And that's been predicted by various indigenous cultures for thousands of years prior to now.
1: Hmm. And, and how does it turn out? <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, I believe it turns out this widespread spiritual awakening, like it's happening faster and faster. And I think podcasts like this, I think the internet, like all of this, all of this technology that actually drove us to disconnect from nature has been really important to bring us back into connection. It's almost like nothing's been a mistake. Like we needed to be really obsessed with selfie pictures on Instagram <laughs> to be able to spread these messages of awakening, you know, quickly. And uh,
1: yeah, almost like an adolescence, you need to grow up now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you know, it's crazy times, but I think from what everything I read and from elders, it, you know, it's just like, hold on to your values and connect to the earth and hold everything lightly.
1: So another question I had for you was, you know, young people these days, do you feel like there's interest in spirituality?
0: Yeah, totally. I really feel it. Um, there's this whole, like, So when I wrote the proposal for my book, the audience I said was S-B-N-R, spiritual but not religious. And that's an entire group. And it's a spirituality that like doesn't really have anything to hold on to because it's like what you said, like it doesn't necessarily hark back to gurus or old traditions. And so it's like we're kind of discovering it all together. And I think as self-care, people become really aware of self-care and as, People start to meditate more. You know, like there's so many different practices that are just like the science is catching up to. Even forest bathing in, na- in nature. But there's so much scientific evidence that is coming out around spiritual. So it's like beliefs that people have held, you know, around Buddhism. Beliefs that people have held for millennial millennium are now being backed by science. And for the society we live in, some people need that science evidence to feel grounded in it but that's that's here now so it's like why wouldn't you meditate why wouldn't you put your foot feet on the earth if it's proven that you know it can lower your lower inflammation and chronic pain (laughs) like
1: yeah no i totally agree i mean i and the spiritual not religious movement does seem to have a lot of steam and i you know i don't know if you heard the podcast harry potter and the sacred text have you heard about that one
2: Mm-mm. A Harvard Divinity
1: student basically deconstructs Harry Potter to find like this s- deeper sacred meanings about in values that are kind of laden within Harry Potter and for a millennial audience, right, who grew up reading Harry Potter and loving Harry Potter, there might be a deeper meaning hidden within you know, the text of that. So like trying to find different ways to connect a younger generation or audience i mean for me it's i'm really interested to kind of help support that however i can and tell these stories through a podcast or, or however just because i do feel like that's really important to kind of shifting consciousness about how we um, act in the world and all of that but also growing up there were very few peers of mine that were interested in spirituality right and i think given how much information is available now and curiosity about it and in some sense how like you know quick everything is now everything's snapchat everything's insta something and it's kind of like maybe there's deeper meaning um, underneath it
0: yeah you know at least here in america i can't think to speak for the whole world but every generation becoming better off than the generation before it so like mm you know, my great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents, like, immigrated to New York and then, you know, had to work their way up. My grandfather worked as a taxi cab driver and then an English teacher. My dad went to law school. You know, it's, like, each generation is providing more, but we're the first generation. This has been predicted, like, years ago that isn't going to make more money than our parents. Like, that's just, you know, the state of the economy, that's just not happening. So, we're, like, okay, if we're not going to make more money, what are we doing? And so, it's, like, that's why we are the purpose generation and like, you know, that's been around for a long time is, you know, doing what you love and, you know, and I think that starts to connect to spirituality pretty quickly.
1: In terms of greater happiness and, you know, greater purpose. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And not in it for the money, but in it for this deeper meaning and connection and um, making the world a better place.
1: Yeah. So what so what do your parents think about what you're doing now?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. They um tying it all back together. <laughs> I think they they've supported me through a lot of these creative whims that I have. Um and so I think from their perspective, they're like they've been patient and they're ready to like <laughs> pay off from it, you know? <laughs> and um
1: return on investment, what do they <laughs>
0: Exactly and from My perspective, I'm like, I'm bringing, I'm trying to bring them along on my spiritual journey. And I'm trying to lead the way. And um, I actually invited them to this Shabbat last Friday. And I think that was a really powerful experience for them to see me leading in this way. Mm. So I think, you know, I think they, I think it's like, my mom's a yoga teacher. So she, she gets it. Um, But I think they're also like, I don't know, like certain things, you know, my parents love me and support me, and also they're such a foil for me. Like,
1: <laughs> I know you, you know, mean. like yeah. things
0: that they tell me I'm not good at then become like what I have to do. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> parents are like great spiritual teachers, right? Because it's mm-hmm. like, oh, I've become so enlightened by this connection. I go home, it's like totally miserable. So my parents are just like poking at every, every sore spot that I have, and it's like, okay, there's more work to be done. Totally. You know, it's just like, like Ram Das said, "If you think you're letting spend a week with your mom or something? Exactly. It's like, oh my God. Then you realize that there's a long, long way to go. What do you think? I mean, you said they're waiting for the payoff. What do you think that payoff is? Like for you to become super successful and fan, like, what's what's their conception of?
0: You know, I'm actually feel like more moving into this new, new, more spiritual economy in the age of Aquarius where it's like, you know, money flows differently. So it's like, it hasn't been a big driving force for me but then again I've been supported in other ways like if I'm being super authentic I live in a beautiful home that my partner pays the rent on you know like I have a car that my parents an old car from them so it's like I don't like to hide oh look at me I'm doing what I love and like living this dream life it's like no I'm, other people are supporting me so that I can because they believe in me and um I don't want to have any misconception around that But I think they are, yeah, they're waiting for, for me to figure out how to make, you know, this financially viable, whether it's to offer forest bathing in like more corporate settings or for this book to come out or whatever else. And they, I think I personally have some blockages that I'm working through around being like spiritually aligned with my purpose and having income, like, because, yeah, I, there's like this thing around me of like money is evil, money is bad, money corrupts. So that's something that I'm like continuously working through. And I think that is manifested in my outer experience.
1: Yeah, no, I, t- I totally feel you on that one. I think yeah, also for me, it's sort of a struggle. It's not even a balance of, of those things, but how do you kind of integrate them into a coherent sort of like vision? And it puts, but, but so, so it sounds like your parents sort of have a, a more of a society based success. Like, are you going to be a successful economically and also? Well, in terms of the, the audience that you reach with your books or whatever uh, creative things that you're doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I guess the question is, would they be okay if you were just happy doing whatever you were doing?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think if I, if I was, I think they love seeing me content and happy. I think they also see in me some frustration with myself. Like I've been working so hard. I've just been going my own path, but it's also like, I don't believe that that means that you have to be scarce to be doing spiritual or soulful or purpose-aligned work. I don't think that means like you, you know, maybe like don't need to live in this like huge house and have a fancy car, but like would love to be able to travel and go out to like to beautiful meals. Like there's things that, so I think I have that within myself and then my parents just reflect it. If I was like, I'm totally perfect, I'm totally content. They'd be <laughs> okay, you know, <laughs> But I do want to be able to take my parents out for dinner sometimes to buy them a nice gift for their anniversary. <laughs> like...
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's totally doable. And I almost feel like in some sense, that's the next step. You know, money is, is re, reincorporated back into totally. spirituality and that it's used for the same mission that anything else would be used, you know, whether that's your consciousness or your heart or whatever it is. Capital, you know, can align with consciousness in a really powerful way. So I really believe that I don't know exactly how it's going to happen. I think there are little kind of like seeds of of promise all over the place, but I'm not sure exactly how it's going to look like. But I I would be really interested to see how that goes.
0: I have some theory that it's around the idea is that you get to this point where you see nature is sacred, and then you start at you you're gathering information from other people, and like I almost see a world where we and this already is kind of happening with like coaching or these like transformative experiences or these accelerators retreats that you go to where you're not buying things, but you're like, but you're supporting, you're buying experiences and you're supporting the people who are leading those experiences. And then you start to offer your own, you know, and it's like this whole economy that's supporting itself without any physical objects, really.
1: Hmm. Like an experience, a shared experience economy or like a training or transmission economy i don't know
0: exactly yeah as opposed to like you know thing like the industrial revolution which is all about like making things products yeah yeah so it's like we've gone from products to now we're in like the services right software as service apps and all of that and then i believe the next thing is going to be experiences
1: Hmm. that's really interesting my I, i still i still feel like we i mean if we can transform sort of the normal economy you know, a product economy as well, because people still need to eat food and wear clothes and things like that. And if that can be turned or transformed in that way, I think that would also be really powerful.
0: Totally. And I see that happening. I mean, it's like with any, it's like this crazy thing where there's like light, there's dark, you know, like mm-hmm. more farmers markets than ever. And then like Whole Foods, Amazon buys Whole Foods. And all of a sudden, when you walk into Whole Foods, it feels like you're a robot. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Literally, you have to like scan your phone. It's <laughs> true you are but it's like, what is this? I just want to, you know, versus like farmers' markets where you're meeting actual people who, you know,
1: that's true, that's
0: true. But yeah, I see both. Like, there's fast fashion, which is one of the most biggest pollutants in the world, and then there's like people who are, you know, really into just buying secondhand or making things with hemp, or you know. So there's these both sides that are happening yeah. right now.
1: Yeah. In the age-old question: Can you be rich and spiritual? <laughs> is yeah. that a thing? So, is there any topic that we didn't? I mean, there are a lot of things I could still ask you and questions I would want to talk about. But is there anything you feel like um, we've been missing or that you wanted to talk about?
0: I do want to say something about you know the title of the podcast: "The Guru is Dead," and I I believe that there is just more access to source coming. Mm. Forest bathing is a is a way to access. Source, just being in nature. When you're in nature, you receive the exact right message that you're meant to receive at any given time to propel you along your journey. So, nature is the ultimate guru, and you are nature. So, like, you are your own guru, <laughs> you know, that thing. And you can have, like, what I, the experiences that I have when I'm in nature is I have these, like, whoa, like these, you know, truths. I like begin to embody that. I didn't have to read somewhere. It's not like a, you know, a Rumi quote or an Osho. It's just like I I felt that for myself. And then once you feel it for yourself, you're able to embody it so naturally. And taken to the next level, I feel like I've been drawn to the shamanic way of viewing the world which is a lot of illness within us within the earth comes from a, you know, and the planet comes from an imbalance. And so any work that you can do to bring into balance yourself or the planet brings about greater health and wellness and well-being
1: that's that's beautifully said yeah thank you so what are what are next steps for you in your journey
0: yeah great question um i personally feel like i have some more writing to do or sharing um, of my creative, like where I'm at in my journey, which right now feels like diving deeper into the medicine wheel and this idea of medicine, as well as sharing practices and creating experiences of living a nature connected life.
1: I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Julia. If you want to know more about what she's up to, check out her website, forestbathing.club. That's forestbathing.club. And also she has a book that will be published March 5th of next year. The title is The Healing Magic of Forest Bathing. So check that out if you're interested in learning more about forest bathing. So thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.